0: Heavenly Father, I ask for wisdom and guidance. Help me that I may know you more and live my life the way you want it to be lived. I want to be a part of something greater than myself. I want to help accomplish your mission for the church, to be the hands and feet of Christ here on earth. Lord, I pray that you will help me embrace your purpose for my life, my family, my job, my school, and my church. Let me be a part of a generation that seeks your face, that knows your name, that puts you at the center of our lives. Help me encourage my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that we may build each other up in your word. I can see the great work you're doing in my life and the lives for those around me. Let us fulfill your great commission, doing kingdom work throughout our daily lives. I want to run the race well. Living out your call on my life. And make my life count.
1: I'm so glad you're here today. I got to tell you, I love this church. I just do. I love this church, don't you? I just love this getting together. I love us worshiping together. I want to welcome all of our guests. We're so proud that God brought you here. We're so thankful that you have come today, and we welcome you to, to Sugar Creek Baptist Church. You see this big one behind me? Last week, I shared with you that this one represents one life. We only get one shot at this. There's no redos. We only get one chance, one life that we get to live in the flesh in this body. Now, the truth is the very moment we die, this body dies, our spirit, our soul goes immediately to the presence of God. That's true, but we only have one life. And I say that because it means we've got to make the most. We have to make the most of this one life, and that is what this series is all about. Make your life count. You get one shot. Make your life count. Now, last week, we talked about what is the point of life, and we discovered in the Bible that there are four goals that God wants you and I to accomplish in this life. What is the point of this life? There's four things God wants us to accomplish. And we also discovered there's four questions, and the answers to those questions is what keeps us on target to accomplish those four goals. If you weren't here last week, I wish that you would go to the Resource Center or you'd go online and listen, because I think it could be a blessing and a help to you. But this morning, I want us to go to the next step, and I think the next step is going to be a very surprising one. It is this question. Why being involved in a church makes you a better person. It's actually a statement. Why being involved in the church makes you a better person. And the truth is, that key word of the entire sentence is involved. I'm not talking about hit and miss. I'm not coming ever talking about coming ever so often. I'm talking about when you truly get involved in a church, in this church, it will make you a better person. And I want to prove that point. Now the truth is, it's a challenging statement to make, especially in the culture in America today. Sociologists who study religion say that in America, in our culture today, that that there are two trends that they're seeing about religion. The first is, there is still a deep-seated spiritual hunger in America, maybe even greater than before. People truly do want to know about God. There is a true deep spiritual desire and hunger for God. But there's a second trend, and the trend is simply this. People, especially younger adults, are pushing away institutionalized religion. And they're saying that church is institutionalized religion, Christianity. It's a shame because Christianity was never intended to be institutionalized religion. Never intended. Christianity was meant to be a lifestyle lived in community with a group of other believers called a local church. That's what Christianity really is about. There is a deep need in our country to get back to that idea that we're living a lifestyle in community. We're learning how to do that. Now, there was also a a survey that was done, conducted, I don't know how many thousands of people that were part of the survey, but the question was asked them, this one question, do you believe you can be a very good Christian without attending a church? And 81% said yes. But it was the wrong question. The real question is this. Can you be a growing, maturing believer in obedience to Christ and ignore the body of Christ at the same time? And the answer in the New Testament is no. See, the truth is you can be a great Christian and not come to church for a little while. But there is a day in which it catches up with you. And you begin to suffer and you don't even know you are until it has gone too far. It is Jesus that actually created the church, not the apostles, not people. It was Jesus. And Jesus created the church so that we would come together and in corporate worship like we've just experienced, and that we would encourage each other, that we would strengthen each other, that we would break out into small groups. This is exactly what happened in the first church. They would break out. They would come together and worship. Then they would break out in small groups. We call them at Sugar Creek Connect groups. They would break out in small groups where they would build deep relationships, where they, where they would do life together, where they would love each other and be there for each other, and they would study the Word of God together. It was Jesus that created all of this, and the whole idea is that it would deepen our walk with Him. It's sort of like a fireplace if you think about it, and here's a picture I want you to see because this is exactly the point I'm making. See, there's a fire, and you see everything is so hot in that fire. All the charcoals, they're all burning. There, There was wood, now it's down to coals like this, and it is ablaze and hot because it is reflecting the heat off of each other. But do you see that coal, that piece of coal that is on the far right toward the front? It's black, isn't it? It's stone cold. You could pick it up. It wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt you at all. It is totally cold. And look at the two coals that are in the front in the center. Every minute that's going by, they're getting cooler and cooler and cooler, and finally the fire will totally go out. It won't go out immediately. It'll take a little while, but finally the fire will go out. And this fireplace is exactly the whole concept of a church. That when we meet together, we encourage each other, we sort of heat each other up in a good way, and we stay hot-hearted toward God together. When we do church together, this is the whole idea. There are studies, very elaborate studies, by the way, that happen every so often, every five years, ten years, however long it is, and, and which uh, studies Intensive studies are done in the United States about Christianity. The difference between what is the difference between a person who is a Christian and deeply involved versus a person who's not? I love these studies. And they take, like, a a case study of a thousand people or however many people that are deeply involved in, in church and a thousand people have nothing to do with church and they compare them. And the latest study came out in February of 2019. I am not stretching it one eye out. I don't have to. I want to read to you what the, the study showed. It said that those people who are regularly involved in church. Now, involved doesn't mean hit or miss a few Sundays here or there. I come to church. And it doesn't even mean I just come uh, for uh, worship or whatever and leave. It means people that are involved. Those who are regularly involved in church have better health have better marriages, and are less depressed. Children who regularly attend church have stronger morals, are less depressed, and are dramatically less likely to get into drugs and other risky behavior. The studies have shown that people, no matter the age, who regularly are involved in church actually live longer. Okay actually live longer they have better relationships they are more forgiving they are happier than those who do not divorce in america is now at 31% but for those who are deeply involved in church it is at 15% i'm not exaggerating one number so i'm just saying who would not want to be in church Don't be mad, don't be sad, and don't be bad. Come to church. This is what the study is saying. Now, I'm going to tell you, in third service, there is an added value. It is amazing. You see all this haze that we have in the worship time? It's not smoke. It's actually water vapor. That's all this haze. Now, they shut it off when I get up to preach. But the haze that's going on, it actually moisturizes your skin. So you come third service, you got long, younger looking skin on top of everything else you're getting at church. It is amazing. You can't get this anywhere else. And some of you are thinking, wait a minute, why are you saying this stuff to me? Because we're the ones in church. <laughs> why are you trying to get us to church? We're already, they're the good guys. We're the ones already here. And you are, and I am so grateful. I want to thank you so much for being here. I appreciate so much. You got up this morning, you said, we're going to Sugar Creek, and here you are, and I'm deeply grateful. Respectfully, I want to ask this thing, I want to make this statement. It's possible, isn't it, that there are some that are here, but not actually here. And what I mean by that is you're still on the sidelines, it's hit or miss come for an hour, I'm out of here, I, I, I clocked in. But the thing, the description I just read about those who are involved, and that is a deeper idea than just coming to church, especially coming ever so often. And so, what do I mean by that? Let me just say that on a school is about to start again, and during school, the school year, the school of months, We average somewhere at Sugar Creek with all seven of our services together, we average about 4,700 to 4,800 people in average attendance at Sugar Creek. But did you know that one half, every adult you see at this church, one half of all of our adults, one half are not involved in any connect group. I'm just talking about small group Bible study. We call them connect groups. But the, the group of people that meet together, you build deep relationships, you, you build friendships with them. When they're struggling, you're there for them. When you're struggling, they're there for you. And you're sharing life together. Plus, you're going deeper in the Word. You, you're studying the Bible, and you get to ask questions and that sort of thing. Only one out of every two adults you see You can look across this worship center. Only one out of every two adults are involved in a connect group. And it's easier. Hey, I just got an hour, but I'm going to tell you, that hour you're missing, quite honestly, is actually taking more from you than you actually know. Did you know that two-thirds, two out of every three adults you see, are not involved in ministry of any kind? Only one out of every three adults is involved in ministry of any kind. And yet, the Bible talks about God wanting us to be involved in ministry of serving each other. So what I'm saying is, is that there's some ways to go. There is a next step we need to take in our Christian life. And I want to challenge you with that next step. And I want to do it today by just building a biblical basis for what the Bible is teaching us. And the first statement I want to make is this. We have a spiritual family family. We have a spiritual family. John chapter 1, verse 12 puts it this way, to all who received Christ, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Isn't that wonderful? He gave us the right to become children of God. Now, there is a phrase in our culture, and we hear people say it ever so often, and maybe we've even said it every so often because we've heard it in our culture ever so often, but, but there is a phrase, and the phrase goes like this, meaning everybody in the world, we're all God's children. But actually, that's not true. We are, everybody in the world, we are all God's creation, and He loves all of us. That is true. We're all God's creation, but we're not all God's children. You see, to be God's children, to be God's child, you've got to be born again. This is what the Bible says. You, it, when, when you go back this afternoon you your home, you want, to, you want to proof me, go and look at these two verses I've given you. Go back to John chapter 1, verse 12. To all who receive Christ, to all who have believed in his name, all those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, to those he gives the right to become children of God. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I'm a child of God. You've accepted Christ as your Savior. You're a child of God. We become children of God. Now, it's to those who have received Christ, who have become children of God, that Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 says this, you are a member of God's very own family, and you belong. Circle the word belong. I wish I'd have had that as a fill in the blank, because it's the key word in the verse. You belong in God's household with every other Christian. I love belonging. And you belong. And in fact, here's the idea. The Apostle Paul, Peter, John, all the characters of the Bible, not one other Christian belongs in the family of God more than or less than you. You belong with every other Christian. This is what he's saying. In other words, the ground around the throne of God, around the cross of Jesus and around the throne of God is level. We're all equal in the eyes of God. Now when you receive Jesus Christ as your savior and you are brought into the family of God, God becomes your heavenly father. And God is my heavenly father. And you know what it means? It means you are my brother, you are my sister forever because we're members of the same family. Now, it is with that in mind, I want you to see what Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 says. Look at what it says. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Now, this is John, the Apostle John, and he's seen heaven and the throne of God, and that's where this has happening. And he says, I looked, and there were more people than anyone could count. So many people through the ages, however long that is, they're all now, it's all over. All the Christians that are going to be Christians are Christians throughout all the ages, and now we're all around the throne of God, and I'm there. I am there. And you, if you know Christ, you're there. And here we go. There is a great multitude that no one can count, and notice how he describes them, from every nation, every tribe, every people. He's And every language, he's talking about every ethnicity, every nation, is gathered as the family of God around the throne of God. It means that I have brothers and sisters of every nation, of every ethnicity, of every language. They're part of my family. And when you come to grasp this truth ethnic prejudice makes no sense for a follower of Christ. Isn't this true? Well, there ought to be some applause to that. Isn't that true? Ethnic prejudice doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense for a follower of Christ. Why? I'm going to be prejudiced against my brother, my sister. It makes no sense. You say, but this is how I was taught as I was growing up. Well, then it's taught wrong. I'm sorry. And you need to let your heavenly father teach you right. It's time to relearn that issue. Three or four years ago, I was in Indonesia. And when I was in Indonesia, I was talking to a guy, he had great English. And he told me that when he was just a boy, that he and his family moved from China to Indonesia. And he said, when I was in school and they found out I was from China, they hated me. They pushed me aside. I spent my entire growing up years being ostracized by so many people because I was Chinese. That was the only reason. And he said, I discovered that people in Indonesia have an ethnic prejudice against people from China. A year or so ago, I came across an article. I wish I would have kept the article for crying out loud, but I read the article very carefully. I didn't read the book that the guy wrote, but it was a story about a book, a research project this guy had done. And the book he had read, what were the results? I got the results, and it was amazing. This guy uh, did a research project On this very issue of ethnic prejudice and he did it by going to as many nations I can't tell you went to every nation but he went to a ton of nations another kind of countries and he went into those countries he he interviewed people right and left and he ended with this conclusion literally every ethnicity every country has an ethnic prejudice against somebody else he said he was stunned by it all every place he went they had a list of people they didn't like though they had never met them other ethnicities other countries and such Plus, he did a very detailed study of, of literature that had been written through the ages, all the way back to ancient times, and he says, if you're actually looking for this, if you're looking, he said, you will see ethnic prejudice in materials all the way back as far as you can go. And here was his conclusion. Literally everybody is taught to have ethnic prejudice Prejudice against somebody else in every country. And he said there it seems to be a part of human nature in which I have to find somebody I think I'm better than. Well it was true in first century the Jewish believers had been born and raised that Gentiles were nothing but scum. But in the Ephesians chapter 2, Paul addresses that issue and he said that the cross of Jesus Christ tore down the wall we have erected in ethnic prejudices and we've got to let that wall down. And we've got to live the way God has created us to live in love of people no matter who they are, where they're from, we've got to live this way. And we've got to live this way because we are followers of Jesus Christ, for crying out loud. You belong to God's very own family. Notice that the Bible does not say that we are like a family. It says we are a family. The Bible does not say that a church is a symbol of a family or a family is a symbol of church. It says that a church is is a family. We're family. In fact, in the Bible, f- there is two understandings of church. One is the universal church, where it, it's all people of all countries, of all generations, all the way back 2,000 years. All the, people that, all the people that are around the throne in Revelation chapter 7. The universal church, all of it, is church. And it's used four times in the Bible. But did you know that 75 times in the Bible it uses church as a local body, believers just like us here? Most of the emphasis of the Bible is on us being a family with each other. The Christian life was meant to be lived in community in a local church. So why is this new family so important in our deepening relationship with God? Well, there's several reasons. One is we were never intended to live the Christian life alone. Ecclesiastes 4.9, two are better off than one. If one of them falls down, the other can help him up. If someone is alone and falls, it is just too bad because there is no one to help him. Two can resist an attack that would have defeated one alone. A rope is made of, a rope made of three cords is hard to break. What he is saying in the passage is we need each other, that we are stronger with each other than without each other. I know there's some people who say, look, I don't have to go to heaven, I don't have to go, I don't have to go to church to go to heaven, and they're right. I don't have to go to church to go to heaven, they're right. But is that all you're looking for, fire insurance? Don't you want to know God better? Don't you want to grow in your relationship with God? Don't don't you want to to know other believers? Don't you want to grow spiritually and learn more of the Bible? Don't you want to worship God and with others? Don't you want to know it's not just you? That there are all these other believers in Christ. Don't you know there are days in which you're going to need others and others are going to need you? Do you see what I'm saying? Romans chapter 12 verse 5 says Christ makes us one body and individuals who are connected to each other and he is talking about the local church. I am not a big fan of the message paraphrase though it's perfectly fine and other people like it. It's just a little bit way out there for me but I liked how it did It said this same verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 5. So I'm going to read what it says. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and our function as a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much. Don't be a cut off toe. Be a part of the whole body. We find our strength with each other. God has wired us to need each other. The California Department of Mental Health said this, that if you isolate yourself from other people, you are three times more likely to die an early death You are four times more likely to suffer emotional burnout. You are five times more likely to be clinically depressed. You are 10 times more likely to be hospitalized for an emotional or mental disorder. Here is the bottom line don't die early, join a connect group. This is the bottom line here. You need these people. Second, we need encouragement to grow spiritually. Listen to what he says in Hebrews 10, verse 25. Let us not give up the habit. Circle the word habit. I wish I'd have made it a fill in the blank. Circle the word habit of meeting together as some are doing. Are you listening to what he's saying? Don't give up the habit of meeting together as some others are doing. Instead, let us encourage one another. The first word I want you to grab is the word habit. There are good habits that we need to build in our life. The habit of taking a shower or a bath regularly, right? The habit of brushing our teeth once a day or more. The habit of using deodorant. And aren't you very glad that the person sitting next to you has been doing this. Look to the person next to you and say, thank you. Thank you so much for that bath you took when the last time you took it and for that deodorant. It's working great. Working great today. There are good habits. And the great habit he says, I want you to build is coming to church so that it isn't of a question. On Saturday night, we don't even ask the question, are we going to church tomorrow? We already know we're going to church tomorrow. It's a slam dunk. We already know it. Of course we're going to church tomorrow. It's a good habit. It's a good habit to do. We need this habit. There's a second word. It's the word encourage. And the word encourage means to inspire with hope and courage and confidence. I need encouragement. You need encouragement. And you know what the truth is? We get some. When we come into the big room, that's what we, I'm calling this room, the big room, we come in here, hopefully we get around and we see, oh, look at all these people here. I'm not doing this Christian life by myself. Look at all the other people doing the Christian life. And I'm not by myself. And there's an, a level of encouragement. But I'm going to tell you, when you go to the small group, we call connect groups, when you go to the small group and you begin to make friends in the church, you begin to know people in the church. You begin to do life with them, and and they're there for you when you're struggling. You're there for them when they're struggling. You're learning more of the Bible than you thought you would, and you're getting to ask questions. Wow, the encouragement factor rises dramatically because we need each other. Here's the third reason. We need other believers to sharpen our lives. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen. people learn from one another just as iron sharpens iron. When I get around sharp people, I sharpen up, and you do too. Here's the fourth thing. The church helps us center our life around God because the truth is when we get in the car and we are headed to our job on Monday, and wherever our, our jobs are, that job is pulling us from God, and we feel it. In the, envir- the environment that we're in, it's pulling us from God. In our classrooms, it's pulling us from God. In other relationships, they, they just pull us from God, and we need something that pulls us back. And that is what God intended church to be. When we come to church regularly and consistently, we are far more likely to stay centered. We stay in touch with the meaning of our life. We keep focused upon our purpose and goals with God at the center. It's so important to be in church. And here's the bottom line. Being involved, being involved, taking it to the next level, being involved in church makes you a better person. It just flat does. So what is God asking us to do? First, gather with our family to worship. Every Sunday, there's times in which you're gone, you're out of town, whatever, as soon as you're back, back in church. Gather habitually for worship with other believers. Second of all, be in a connect group. That Bible study that the apostles did in the new in the first century be involved in a connect group in which you develop lifelong friends how do i get how do i even come up with one of these connect groups i don't even know go to the next step center you, if you want to know jesus christ as your savior today you you don't know him and i want to know him and how do i how do i come to know him go to the next step center next step center is in the commons on the right side see the playscape over there over there is the next step center you go to the next step center there's a minister there that will help you come, how do, how can i come to know jesus as savior maybe you're here visiting and how do i join this church go to the next step center So I'm already a member of this church. What? How do I get a Connect Group? Go to the Next Step Center. Do you know why we call it the Next Step Center? Because no matter what your next step is, you can take your next step at the Next Step Center. That's why we call it the Next Step Center. Isn't that clever? Find a way to serve others. Here's the third thing. Find a way to serve others as they are serving you, get involved in a ministry. It could be on Sunday, be during the week. How do I even find a ministry? Go to the what? Next Step Center. There it is. That's why it's called Next Step Center. So no matter what your next step is, you can take the next step of the next step Center. I'm telling you, we are very smart here. Here is the fourth thing, share Christ with others. And did you know that two Saturdays from now, from yesterday, two Saturdays from yesterday, we have another one of those uh, gospel conversation trainings, and you can learn how to share your faith with somebody else. But you already know how to invite someone to church. Invite them to church. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you today... And, Lord, we know that there are people in this room right now, and they're at Sugar Creek today, and we're so grateful, Father. And they don't know Jesus yet, but your Holy Spirit is drawing them to you, and there is a want to, and that want to comes from you. And, God, I thank you because there are some in this room who need to come to know Jesus as their Savior. And, oh, God, I pray they would make that decision today at the Next Step Center.